Well, good morning. This morning, we want to discuss uh, the merchant banking model. This is session 11 from the series Financial Management Part 2, which is the key principles of financial management. First of all, we want to think or learn to think Christianly about work. And that's a challenge because most of us don't recognize the value of work. To us, uh, work is something we have to do. It's not something we're really called to do. At least that's generally how most of us think. Those who've had some training in this uh, begin to realize that work is part of our call. It's part of our ministry. It's part of the way we execute the commands of Christ. So we have to fight the temptation to think of work like the world does. The, work ba the world basically says work is utilitarian. It's a way we make money. And of course, money is a tool for us to go do what we want to do when we want to do it, how we want to do it. And so we think no differently from the world most of the time, we being those who profess to be Christians. So from a Christian worldview, we've got to begin to think differently. We want to think about Christ as being the source and sustainer of all. And in fact, he is the reason for all. So you could say he's the past, present, and future. He's the past, he's the creator of all. He's the present, he's the sustainer of all. He's the future, he's the end purpose of all. So he's all three tenses to us as we think about work. So Colossians 1, 15 through 17 tells us this. Speaking of Christ, it says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him, which that's the past tense, and for him, that's the future tense, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, that's the present tense, he sustains all things. So this is the reality of Christ being the source sustainer and end of everything. So from a Christian worldview, work is learning to build now with the creator and how the creator has designed his universe to work. So a great text to consider is Psalm 127 verse one. Unless the Lord builds the house, it's labors or builders labor in vain. So I think there's no, every one of us wants to know, is our work going to count? or is it all just vanity? Well, the solution, the answer to how your work counts is you have to labor with the Lord. You have to do the things he's doing. You don't get to just go do whatever you wanna do. You don't get to make up your own you know, vision for life and vision for your organization. You have to discern what God has called you to and what he's doing. Now, interestingly, the Many of the pundits, uh, you know, get a glimpse of, of this kind of thinking, whether they're Christians or not. In the case of George Barna, he is a Christian. He's very clear that God has a bigger purpose, a meta-narrative, and he designs individuals and organizations to live congruently with his meta-narrative. So George is probably one of the best I've seen among professing Christians at articulating this truth. Sadly, many of the ones I've read don't have this vision. Many professing Christians think really like worldly people who are not seeing the bigger picture. They just see little elements of how-tos and focus on those. But there are some worldly thinkers who do see something beyond you know, just the how-tos. For example, uh, here's one example, Sam Chan. Uh, he says this, 
God, you placed me on the planet. Now, I don't know what God he's referring to here. He may be a Christian, but I don't know that. He goes on to say, there's a purpose for each of us. So please put me in touch with the right people in whom I can invest my life so that when they succeed, I can succeed along with them. My success depends on their success. Well, whether he's a Christian or not, he's on to something here that sounds very Christianly. So I'm always, uh, always blessed to hear it. If he's a Christian, he's echoing truth. If he's not a Christian, he's like a rock crying in the streets. You know, sometimes the rocks can't help but cry out the truth because Christians fail to do it. So I don't know which he is. And then John Gordon is another one. Again, I don't know his spiritual state, but he has some wisdom here for us. And this may be rocks crying in the streets. I think of the main things a leader does to share the vision and mission of the organization. Why are they in business? Why do they do what they do? Why, do the, why is the organization here? And what are, what are they driving toward? And what means, and, and that le- means leaders need to move their organization toward defining their bigger purpose. In other words, you've got to think bigger. It can't be about money. It can't be about jobs. It can't be even about meeting needs. Although those things are important and are part of it, there is something bigger than that. There is the purpose of God. So we've got to learn to stretch and think bigger. We also have to be clear on what success is. Lasting financial success is rooted in alignment with God. Now, Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 6 is very clear on this. It's a very binary psalm. Either you align with God and are blessed, or if you don't align with God, you will be judged. It's one of those things like when you get through with it, you want to say, any questions? Because it's so clear. It's crystal clear. And yet most of us don't think with that kind of clarity, even as professing Christians. And we need to get to the simplicity of how God works. What confuses us is we see wicked people seemingly prosper. Well, Psalm 73 answers that. So if you've got any questions, just read Psalm 73, and you'll see that the way that God uses, uh, you know, basically uses wealth in the hands of wicked people is is set up for judgment. So now some axioms of Christian thinking about success. Now, these are just some. This is not a, a complete list. This is a few things to consider that I think you'll very easily connect to Scripture If you're a student of scripture at all, this is not hard to make these connections. So first, God is sovereign, intentional, and strategic in executing this meta-narrative, which means everything happens for a reason. There are no accidents. There's no such thing as luck. That is a man-made idea. It comes from thinking like a pagan. We as Christians know that everything happens for a reason. Secondly, the meta-narrative is, is uh, expressed in the specific will and the general will of God. The specific will of God is the call of God on each person and each organization. And the general will of God is how we actually fulfill that call, the, the principles of Scripture that we follow. Blessings flow from congruence with God's meta-narrative. In other words, if we're going to flow with God, we have to flow consistent with his story because he calls us to play a role in his story. Individuals and organizations are created for a purpose in the meta-narrative. That's almost a redundant phrase, but it, it just stresses the point that there's no, there are no accidents. There are no 
organizations that exist and just can do whatever they want to do. There's no individuals who exist that can just do whatever they want to do. No, you're called to do specific things that God has ordained for you to do from the foundation of the world that's part of his great story of history. Individual and organizational purpose is intended to be congruent. In other words, organizations need to be looking for the right people, and the right people are those who fit into the organization in that they have callings that can be fulfilled in the context of the organization so that by fulfilling their calling personally and individually in the context of the organization, they add to the organization's ability to fulfill its calling. That's congruence. You're not called to an organization to where you have to sacrifice your calling to help the organization fulfill its calling. That's not the way God works. God always works congruently. Individual calling and organizational calling sync up, and that's when you hire the right people. Now, when you hire the wrong people, you'll see they don't sync up, and you'll see lots of problems will come from that because God's favor will not be on it when you have the wrong people. And finally, merchant bankers, and I'm going to define this more fully here in just a minute, Merchant bankers should facilitate congruence. That's what you as an organizational leader should be doing is facilitating congruence between individual and organizational calling. That's the high call of being a merchant banker. So let's talk just for a minute about the will and ways of God. So we're clear on this. Jesus lived according to the will and ways of God. And this is a great example of this. Luke 22, 42 through 44 where Jesus um, is in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood to fulfill his destiny. And he expresses to God a request, but quickly adds the caveat. Uh, he says, not my will, but your will be done. In other words, I'm going to make a request, but I'm not really after my will. I'm after your will. And that needs to be our attitude always is be after the will of God. Now, the will of God, as I mentioned before, is the specific call of God in your life. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 clearly lays this out. We have been created in Christ Jesus to do a work assignment. I think it's really important that we as Christians understand when scripture uses the word good works, what scripture means. We tend to use the word good as a slang term. We use the good to describe anything we like. If we liked a meal, we say that was a good meal. If we like the weather, we say it's good weather. You know, if we had a good night's sleep, we say it was a good night's sleep. You know, we just use it kind of to describe anything we like. That's not the way scripture uses the word good. Good is a divine attribute. So to describe something as good, you're saying that thing is aligned with God. So for a work to be good, a good work, it has to be aligned with God. It can't just be any work that you decide to do. You know, you can't just go decide, I'm going to go on a mission trip and think that's a good work necessarily. It's only a good work if God has called you to do it. You can't think that you can go to college and, and major in a certain major and call that a good work unless God has called you to do that. You can't start an organization or join an organization and think that you'll be doing good works there unless God has called you to be in that context. So a good work is actually aligned, a statement of alignment with the will of God, the specific will of God that is what he's called individuals and organizations to do. 
So when we're clear on that, you realize, okay, God's got a very specific will for everyone and every organization. Now, the ways of God are the means and methods of God. This has to do with the, the teaching of Scripture, the principles of Scripture, how we are to function in God's universe. And we're called to disciple people and train them to live this way. Obviously, implicit here is you need to live according to the will of God. That is the call of God. And you have to execute that call according to the ways of God, which are the means and methods of God. So this is how we need to be thinking about the will and the ways of God. So just a, just a quick history on merchant banking now to talk specifically about it since it's the topic of this lesson. Uh, original banks were merchant banks. Banking started about a 1,000 years ago, really in earnest. There's always been some level of bank activity, but really it started more in earnest about a 1,000 years ago in Italy, and it largely was designed to support farmers who were shipping uh, grain and other agricultural products long distances. And back then, largely coinage was the way that money existed. Uh, yes, gold and silver coins, uh, maybe maybe nickel or platinum or, or, or copper as well, but it's mainly the precious metals of gold and silver. Well, those things are very heavy. Uh, so to ship a load of agricultural product a long distance and then bring back a big load of money that is coinage, which is very heavy and bulky, uh, was risky and dangerous and very hard. So merchants began to realize, you know, we need some help here. We need a financial system that will enable us to go and deliver a product and get something that's easy and safe to bring back, like a, a, a paper bill, uh, and then we and then bring it back to whoever sold that product, and then they can go take it to a local institution and convert it to money. And so that's how it all got started. Early merchant bankers were Jewish people because Jews largely were slaves. They would have been scattered because of their, their sin and rebellion against God. So they'd been scattered and generally didn't own land, but they could conduct business. They could be the merchants. And so they started out as the early bankers. Eventually, merchant banking evolved. By the end of the 19th century, going into the 20th century, uh, transportation issues had been improved and financial services that is the ability to collect payments had been improved. And so now there were added to uh, the banking activities, the idea that we need to help these young entrepreneurs who have, have vision for businesses, we need to help them develop their vision as well as capitalize that business. So that's how banking really began to take off about 120 or so years ago. And it's, it started out just basically financing uh, businesses, the consulting or discipling aspect of merchant banking, you know, went on for a little while and in, in the hands of people like JP Morgan and, and some with Henry Ford or Asa Candler from Coca-Cola, uh, various ones like that, that were fairly wealthy people. They did do some banking, but very quickly commercial banking stepped in. And commercial banking has been the big uh, way that, that banking has been done over the last 120 years. And it's generally understood to be the means of negotiated private equity investment by financial institutions in the unregistered securities, either privately or publicly held companies. 
So in other words, it, it really wasn't publicly traded uh, instruments. It was more private, private uh, instruments like loans. Uh, so there are certain traits that were characteristic of this kind of funding. There are uh, sometimes, or most of the time, they were regulated after, at least after the 30s. Prior to the 30s, they weren't regulated. But after the 1930s, they were regulated. They're non-personal because regulators uh, basically are driven by numbers. They're not driven by relationship. There's no discipleship. They use other people's money. In other words, depositor, depositors' money was used. And they're very risk-averse, and they're not your friends. When things go haywire, you don't look for them to be your friends. So that's kind of the, the status of commercial banking today. Well, I want to give you now a biblical view of how to think about merchant banking. Uh, and one of the people to look at to kind of begin to see some of these traits, uh, although um, these are not he's not a perfect example. He's a pretty good example. This is J.P. Morgan. J.P. Morgan uh, lived uh, until about 1913. That's when he passed. But during the, the time of his life, from probably the late uh, 1880s through the time of his passing, he was a very effective banker, and he largely functioned as a Christian merchant banker, although he wouldn't have known that term or necessarily subscribed to that term. But he did a lot of things that, that merchant bankers should do today, at least Christian merchant bankers should do. So let me give you a definition here. Merchant banking is a discipleship approach to organizational capitalization and investing based on individual and organizational congruence with God's meta narrative, consistent with both the general will of God, that's his principles, that the ways of God, and the specific will of God, that is the calling of God on individuals and organizations. So traits of this kind of banking are it's non-regulated. It is personal. That is, there's personal relationships involved. There's a discipleship process involved. We're trying to help people align with the, the will and ways of God. Now, J.P. Morgan wasn't strong in that aspect, but he did have a strong sense that you, you must have godly character or he wasn't going to loan you money. Uh, use your own capital largely. J.P. Morgan did have other people's money, but he had a lot of his own capital as well. He shared risk. In other words, it wasn't just a loan. He had some equity interest as well. So he really, not only did he want to get paid back, he wanted the organization to do well. And he was a true friend. He was there through thick and thin. So that's really what, what a merchant banking sh banker should look like. Now, let me just show you how you put all this together into a model that describes and defines success. Merchant bankers always start with Christ as the foundation. He's the source, the sustainer, and the ultimate end of everything. They add to that individual calling. And this is a model here where you can see the C4 imagery is implied here. These four circles with a circle in the middle. That's the model I use for the C4 principle. And then the organizational purpose, which comes through following the Beyond Babel model. And then God funds that. When we do this alignment, when we are aligned with Christ, we're aligned with individual purpose, organizational purpose, all that's congruent. God funds that. God funds his will. And many times he will use you as a merchant banker as the funding source. And then that will lead to success. So you can see the arrow beneath this says alignment with Christ. All of this is about alignment with Christ. What is God building? Remember, if you labor 
at something God is not into, your labor is in vain. The only way your labor is going to be fruitful is if your labor in alignment with God. Merchant bankers are God's tools for facilitating and funding alignment with his will using his ways. And that's the purpose of the C4 principle and beyond Babel model is to help you live congruent with God and function congruent with God, both individually and organizationally. So some examples of this, and I don't have time to take you through all of these, but uh, I've got all these stories on my website. If you're interested, you can go out and find them on my website. Uh, Al Buck was nearly broke, but he had a pastor who thought probably better than most today. He believed that Al was called to be to the knife business. I don't know if you've ever heard of a pastor talk about calling to a business. I find it very few can say those words, but he, this pastor was, did feel that Al was called to it. So when Al was about to give it up, to, to throw in the towel and forget it, it was so hard. He was broke. The pastor said, no, Al, you need to stay in this business. This is what God's called you to. And to show you, I believe this, I will be an investor with you. So how many times you've seen a, a pastor step up and invest to help someone continue in business that's on the verge of bankruptcy? Well, that's what merchant bankers do. When they feel and sense the Holy Spirit is in this and they know it's the right thing to do, they're persuaded they'll put their money where their mouth is. Or you may have heard the story of Bill Hewlett and David Packard, the founders of HP. Uh, they were actually uh, envisioned and motivated and encouraged by Fred Terman, who was a professor uh, at Stanford University back in the 30s who saw the potential in these two guys. And even those these two guys didn't see what he saw. Fred Terman basically envisioned them, gave them the, the knowledge, gave them the resources, helped them get started, even gave them their first customer. Uh, basically, Fred Terman started the business. He just used Bill Hewlett and David Packard. And once they got started, they saw it and they were able to take it from there. But they were always quick to acknowledge the role that Fred Terman played. Well, this is what merchant bankers do. They function like Fred Terman. They see things that the entrepreneurs don't necessarily see. They believe in entrepreneurs when they don't believe in themselves. They fund entrepreneurs when they're dead broke. They help the entrepreneurs solve problems they couldn't solve by themselves. This is what merchant bankers do. And of course, another example is King George VI, who was the King of England during World War II. And you may know the story if you've watched the movie, The King's Speech. It's a great picture of how a merchant banker functions. In this case, the merchant banker was a therapist, a speech therapist. And King George I, or VI rather, was called Bertie. That was his nickname. Uh, he was not the oldest child of King George V. Uh, the oldest child uh, abdicated, and when he abdicated because he wanted to marry a divorced woman, that made King George VI, the second son of King George V, became king. But King George V had been very hard on Bertie, and Bertie had ta taken on a speech impediment as a child. And now as an adult, he still had that speech impediment, and the, the Great Britain was facing a war at the time he, was, uh, he became king, and it wasn't due to have a king with a speech impediment. He needed to deal with this. And so he went to the speech therapist, Lionel Logue. And Lionel Logue basically helped 
Bertie get free from the pain of, of the abuse of his father and the, the speech impediment as well. In other words, God used him to heal. So it wasn't so much a financial transaction as it was a therapy, a healing, a mentoring, a discipleship process. But this is what merchant bakers do. They heal wounds from earthly fathers. They make uh, they fill in voids from earthly fathers. They help people move forward and fulfill the purpose of God for their lives. So those are examples of merchant bankers in action. So let me give you some takeaways here, then we'll do a quick exercise. Blessings are the byproduct of alignment with God. Money is a byproduct of congruence because God funds his will. In other words, when God sees us aligning with him, there is a provision of resources now for us to do what he wants done. Merchant banking opportunities begin with C4 discipleship. If you see something that maybe you think is something that uh, you're going to be part of, you start out by discipling that person to see where things go. And if that person responds well, is humble, submitted, and teachable, and develops, then maybe there is an opportunity for you not only to disciple, but also provide some capital as well. Merchant banking facilitates alignment with God. That is building based on a Christian worldview, funding the specific will of God executed according to the general will of God. That is the will of God done according to the ways of God. There's ongoing C4 discipleship. And finally, there's shared risk and reward. And I finally get back to a comment I made early on. Every Christian should live as a merchant banker. I'm using this as a model focused on business, but the principle of being a merchant banker, helping people align with the will and ways of God, and not only discipling them, but potentially providing resources to help them do that, this is what parents should do. This is what pastors should do. This is what business leaders should do. This is what you know civil leaders should be doing. Everyone should be engaged and helping people align with the will and ways of God. This is the only sound way to live as a Christian. So may the Lord give us grace to step up and to learn to live like this as true godly merchant bankers in Jesus' name. Amen.